0: Jeremiah chapter 29, and how many of you read the verse that is on the front of your bulletin this week? How many of you knew that was a Bible verse on the front of the bulletin? It says, "Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I'm not saying this to uh, be critical at all, but a lot of times we uh, as they're looking for verses to put on special places like bulletin covers and things, they'll they'll pick a verse out like that. And you have to be. Uh, careful with scripture. Uh, you cannot just pull one verse out of context or pull a verse out and leave it stand all by itself. It, it In order to understand scripture correctly, and, and if you've been around our church very long, we, we spend a lot of time on this, you must keep The Bible verse in the context of the chapter in which it was written, uh, of the idea and the theme of the book, and yet you must keep it in the context of the entire Bible, the Bible as a whole. Uh, Years ago, I met a fellow, he says, uh, You get so many different interpretations from the Bible. And I said, Well, yes, there are many people that do many things with the Bible, but if you'll keep it in its context, uh, I I said, There's only one understanding. He said, No, no, no. He said, The Bible, the Quran is different. Ah, now I know where you're going. He says, You can't do that with the Quran. I said, Give me one. I said, I can do that with the Quran. I said, I can make any book say anything you want as long as I have the power to move the words around. He never gave me a Quran. He's afraid I was going to do it and prove him wrong. And uh, it's not hard to do. And what I'd like for us to do is, is to look at this verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. In fact, let's just read it first in our Bibles. Uh, If you're there, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, it says, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Now, the first time we hear that verse, I don't know what it does to everyone, but I know that you just think, oh, if I just want to find Jesus, I'll find him. And I want to challenge you, that's not what this verse is saying. You see, the question I'd like for us to look at today, are you seeking Jesus, or are you seeking self? You know, there's an awful lot that happens... In our human mind, in our desires, and, and, and I wish I had uh, a dollar for every person that is over the years that said, Pastor, you, you don't understand. All, all I want is a good life. You and everybody else. I mean, if you wanted a bad life, I would say, listen, you need to stay a little longer. you got bigger problems than you think you do. Uh, none of us want something that is wrong, we would hope. But what what was the theme of the book of Judges? And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's why the book of Judges is one of the darkest books in all of the Bible, telling the story of human sin and depravity and We come here to Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'd like us to start reading in verse 1 and put it in the context. And then we're going to go to another one of those verses that's very similar in the New Testament and and try to put this all together. But start reading with me in verse 1. It says, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem, unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, And pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you, and perform my good word to you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an unexpected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Now, this is the entire context. Again, let's set the... The history here just a little bit. This was about 600 years before Christ. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, modern day Iraq, had sent his armies into uh, the land of Israel and had conquered it. He had taken the king and his wife and the princes. And anyone that had any ability or any uh, intelligence, uh, any wealth whatsoever, they loaded them all up in chains and marched them hundreds of miles across the mountains of Syria and down through the Tigris Valley into the city of Babylon. And they said, you're going to live here. And you're going to do things the way, (coughs) excuse me, that we say you're going to do them. You're going to be held captive in our land. Now, I want to challenge you. That's not a pleasant prospect. And the Lord had prophesied repeatedly that this was going to happen... Because of the sins and the disobedience of the children of Israel. And so, first of all, what I want you to understand was this was a time of defeat and destruction. For well over a hundred years, actually for three hundred years, even back to the time of Solomon, God had warned his people, If you don't obey me, This city is going to be destroyed. You're going to be carried away captive. And you're going to lose the blessings of God on your land and on your person. It had finally come to pass. They lost their land. It was because of their sins. National, as a nation, they had chosen to uh, disobey God's law. They had personally sinned. And yet, God was more interested in their sins concerning their worship. When they had ignored the temple in Jerusalem and had sacrificed to false gods, no temple, no sacrifice, no forgiveness. That was in their minds. You see, if you were going to worship God and you lived in the world at this time, if you wanted to truly worship the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, you had to go to Jerusalem. There was a temple there. There were specific sacrifices and ceremonies that you had to participate in if you wanted to worship the God of Israel. If you were not a Jewish person, there were things that you could do and there was a, a plan prescribed in the law of God where you could worship the God of Israel as well. But there were certain restrictions on you not being a physical descendant of Abraham. But God honors all who call upon His name. Amen? The problem was... They had disobeyed, and now they had reaped the rewards of their disobedience. But you have to understand something. Jerusalem was not only their national identity. The son of David sat upon the throne there. He was carried away to Babylon with all of the captives. It was a vassal that Nebuchadnezzar had set upon the throne, a nephew, not a direct descendant of David. And the people were there, hundreds of miles away. There were messengers that were going back and forth. But also, we find that there was false prophecy going on. There were men that would stand up there in the city of Babylon and say, Don't despair! God is going to deliver us and bring us back to Jerusalem. And there were prophets doing the same in Jerusalem the whole time, uh, a period of over 20 years from when uh, Jerusalem and the people of Israel lost their uh, authority to rule themselves to when the city was completely razed, the temple destroyed and the city burned with fire. And all during that time, there were prophets standing up saying, The vessels of the house of God that were taken to Babylon shall be returned in six months. Well, that's pretty cool to say that today. But show up six months from now. You know what the penalty was for prophesying false things or things that did not come to pass in the name of the Lord? Read the book of Deuteronomy. It was a death penalty. God did not play around with this. And God sent a letter by Jeremiah from Jerusalem to these inhabitants saying, Listen, these prophets that are telling you things are going to get better are lying. Stop praying that you're going back to Jerusalem because you're not going back to Jerusalem. In fact, you're not going back for a period of over 70 years. Now, how many of you would like to wait 70 years for something? Uh, Maybe death, amen. Uh, But 70 years is a long time. And God said, listen... I want you to build houses, I want you to plant gardens, I want you to make plans to stay in Babylon. Now, if you were a Jewish person, why would you want to live in Babylon? Uh, Because you didn't have a choice. God said, my judgment has brought you there. Now, make plans to stay. You see, we have a time of defeat and destruction. We have prophetic dreams and deceit. And finally, we have a God-given declaration and His directions. He said, number one, make plans to say. Number two, make plans for the future. If you're thinking about getting married, get married. If you... Raise your children. And as you raise your children, make plans for them to get married. And have children and raise families there. And he said, seek the peace of the city that you're sent to. Now, wait a minute. Why were they sent to that city? They were sent in exile and punishment. They were sent there because of their sins in God's judgment upon his people. And he said, seek the peace of the city and pray for the peace of the city. God said, if you want to pray a prayer that I'm going to answer, stop praying to get back to Jerusalem, stop praying to be restored, start praying for the peace of the city that you live in, because if you have peace in the city you're living in, guess who else is going to have peace? you are you know, I always get nervous when somebody says i hate the government i'm going to pray that god messes it up hey wait a minute who's going to suffer the most you are i mean i disagree with an awful lot of stuff that's going on in government but i'm praying that god straightens it out not messes it up more amen I mean, we gotta we gotta start thinking about things a little, because God sometimes answers prayers that aren't very that have some very dire consequences. And God told these people to pray for the peace of their city and to do everything that they can to seek peace in their city. And so scattered throughout all the eastern world were pockets of Jewish people. Guess what they had with them? If they were alert at all, they had parts. Probably not a whole Old Testament. Certainly... Uh, many of the prophets, in Jeremiah was being written, and this is part, Jeremiah was being written as we read the story. But they would have had uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The histories would have been completed. Uh, most of the Psalms would have been written by now. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Isaiah had already passed off the scene. Uh, Jonah and several other of the prophets. So we have a majority of the Old Testament. They would have had the Word of God with them. They could have read it and studied it, which they did. You see, God said, I'm giving you a time clock. You're going to be here for 70 years. There's going to be 70 years accomplished in Babylon. Now, If you're my age, middle age, uh, uh, and I was told that I'm going to be somewhere for 70 years, guess what? I'm not having much hope of being around in 70 years. I mean, it's possible, but 120 is fairly old. Uh, And so... I have to make a choice. God says, I'm not going to make it back to Jerusalem. Unless I live 120 years, and very few people do that. But he did give me some specific directions that I can do today. And so I need to fulfill those. And then God says, listen, at the end of that 70 years... I want you to understand something. He says, I'm thinking good thoughts about you. I'm thinking thoughts of peace. I want to give you an expected end in 70 years. Well, Lord, I don't want to wait 70 years. I want to go back to Jerusalem right now. If they had gone back to Jerusalem right now, you know what they would have faced? Famine, starvation. War, death, and destruction. When Nebuchadnezzar sent his armies into Jerusalem the third time, there was hardly a living thing left in the city environs. You see, all the people of station were already in Babylon. All that was left were the poor of the land and those that had hardened themselves in disobedience to God. It's a pretty scary place to be. This was the prophecy. This is the setting. God says, listen, when you made up your mind that you're going to wait 70 years for my time clock to work out and my ways to work out, he said, when, when you realize that the things that I am thinking of and the reason I have you in Babylon is because of my will, and my will is only good, he said, then you can seek me with all my heart, with all your heart and you'll find me. But if you don't seek me with all your heart, you're not going to find me. Do you know that there were many people who were removed from the land of Israel that never came back? Because they just simply assimilated with the world in which they lived. And they forsook the God of the Bible. They forsook the city of Jerusalem. They forsook all the things that God had put in their lives. And they just disappeared from the pages of history. Unless, of course... You believe the Mormon faith that says that the ten tribes of Israel wandered all the way across the continent of of Europe, changed their DNA and became Mongolian, and then moved over to the North American continent as the Indians. Uh, That's what the Book of Mormon teaches. Uh, If you believe that, please see me afterwards. I will sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, all right? And for those who know what I'm going to do, I'll put the money into the offering plate for missions, all right? I wouldn't steal from... But if you're that dumb, I mean, have at it. Or you could have Herbert W. Armstrong that said the ten lost tribes wandered north into Europe and became the French and the English and the white Anglo-Saxon people of northern Europe. And actually, we are the lost ten tribes of Judah. Of Israel. Now, if you believe what the Mormons teach, you might be a candidate for the second one. But I, I would hope that most of the people here this morning could see how silly those things were. You see, God said, if you want to be my people, you make plans to stay put where I put you. And you make plans for the future and you wait until my time has expired, and then I am going to bless you and use you. And a group of people did return to Jerusalem and did rebuild the temple. In fact, the temple that they built under Zerubbabel and Shephiel was the temple that Jesus walked in. You see, God always keeps... His Word. And this verse, it says that, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all your heart, is not one of those, oh, just, I just got this feeling in my heart that I want to get close to Jesus. And He said He'd find me. Hey, let me tell you something. If you want a recipe for disaster... Follow your heart. You see, a few verses before Jeremiah straightened that out, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why I have to search for Jesus with all of my heart, because if any of it's still going in the direction I want it to go in, I'm not going to find him. If I'm still listening to me, even in the smallest area of my life, I'm going to miss searching for Jesus. And many people today, I want to challenge us to think about this, search for Jesus in name, and they're actually seeking the things that they want. Out of life. Well, I just want Jesus to give me a good person to marry. That's why I'm on eHarmony and speed dating and, and, and Christian singles alive and Christian singles dead. No, no, I don't want to go there. Uh, but, I mean... I I stop at all the Internet sites and I pick up a few bars on the way and I go to a different church every Sunday because you never know where I might meet that person I'm looking for. Let me tell you something that's not seeking for Jesus. And you'll find something that looks awful good on the outside. I've heard this years ago, I was a Bible college student, repeated it often. You know, marriage is God's institute for the blind, because love is blind. But after marriage, blind eyes do see. So you better make sure you get it right before, because you can't make it right afterwards. You see, these people were supposed, supposedly seeking God. You know what they were really doing? I want things the way they were before. And God said, I can't abide by the way things were before. That's why you're in Babylon. Because you weren't doing things right in the first place. Now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. I dare say, other than judge not that ye be not judged, the verses that I'm going to read, the first verse I'm going to read, is probably the most quoted verse of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, how many of you have ever quoted that verse? I mean, if you have read that verse and said, that's what I want to do. I want to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And let me tell you something, that ought to be the general direction for your life. It is a verse for you and I today to seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. You know how I found my wife? Serving God. That, that's how I found my wife. Praise God! Uh, by the way, that's how Peter found his wife, and Sarah found her husband, and and that that is my intention for the other ten. Amen. That each one of those these children that God has given us would find that person that God has for them by serving God. Now, we've got a long ways to go. Joey's only four. And so we're going to have to keep working at it. And uh, the simple truth is, there's each one of us that have needs. Each one of us have things that if we could somehow pass out a magic lamp or somehow you write down on a piece of paper one thing that you want and you would get it. What would you put on the paper? Lots of money. Well, what's lots of money? I mean, it used to be, when my grandfather was a young man, that $5 gold piece was your weak pay. But if you had that $5 gold piece today, it'd be worth about 7,000 bucks, I believe. Stop and think about that. What's lots of money? If I had a, a preacher did this in 1962, if, he had, if you had gone to the bank and bought $1,700 in uh, Federal Reserve dimes in 1962, they come in a $10 roll. And that was the price of a car that he paid for in 1962. If he had had that $1,700 in Federal Reserve dimes, just uh, coins, you could go into any car lot in New York City and buy just about any car you wanted to with $1,700 of dimes from 1962. Does that help you understand how worthless money is? Are we getting the point? Go like this. If you're not, go like this and we'll start over again, alright? Because people pray all the time for lots of money. Well, Pastor, I don't pray for lots of money. I just, I just pray that my bills will be paid. You're praying for lots of money. Has anybody here got little bills? I'll trade you. You see, God was telling His people in in Babylon to stop. Wasting their prayers for things that he wasn't going to do. And to start praying and doing some things that he would bless them for and would ensure their present peace and prosperity and their future peace and prosperity. Did they obey God? Of course not. Who does? The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. And yet, if we were to have a poll out on the street, how many of you are interested in God and things like this? I would I would still say we'd have a fairly, uh, uh, at least 50% of people saying, well, yeah, yeah, I'm serious about that. But when it comes to, Decisions that we make each and every day, how serious are we about that? See, when it comes to showing up in church on Sunday morning, see, that's one of those little commands that God put in there and said, you ought to do this. But let me tell you something, that's not all he said to do. He said you ought to show up and much the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, we live in New York City. If we study its history, fairly uh, strong Catholic city. And so, if you're a really good Catholic, you show up on Sunday mornings. If you're a not-so-good Catholic, you show up about once or twice a month. And if you're really a rotten Catholic, you're one of those CE Catholics, Christmas and Easter, or maybe an EC Catholic, Easter first and Christmas second. Uh, but that's how we're conditioned. Do you know how often you're supposed to open this book called the Bible? Every day. Do you know how often you're supposed to pray? Uh, without ceasing. Do you know how often you're supposed to show up at church when they have a service? At our church, we make it easy on you. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. Amen? Just three times a week. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard to do that, isn't it? You see... The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Could I challenge you, if we'll take just a moment, let's go back. Do we live in a time of destruction and defeat, just like the children of Israel did? I'd say we do. The greatest truths that we have held... That we believe the Bible teaches are now the main source of mockery and laughter in the public media and in public society. They want to remove any influence this book could have on people's lives. You know, why wouldn't you want the Ten Commandments posted in the hallway of a public school? It might influence them. Wouldn't that be terrible if they stopped killing each other in the public schools? That would be downright awful. Wouldn't it? Despicable. If they had enough reverence for God to stop bringing pornography and drugs into public schools. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? How bad off would we be? In fact, how bad off were we when that was the rule? Instead of the exception. Somebody did some research. I think the year was 1952. You know what the number one problem in public school discipline was? Talking in class. You know what number two was? Chewing gum. Wouldn't that be terrible? if that were our biggest discipline problems today. And by the way, most of the people that graduated in 1952 could actually read their own diplomas. We were just told that just because they're behind the new score, the new core test scores, doesn't mean they're as bad as they used to be. Well, praise God, they're not as bad as they used to be. But we got so far to go. Let me let me ask you a question. Might we not be better off to start finding God's direction in his word than to listen. To all the prophets and the dreamers that are on the airwaves today. Hello? You know what the Bible says first? It says first you gotta get saved. Without salvation, what do you have? Jesus said if a man gained the whole world and lost his own soul, what has what he profited thereby? What has he gained? What have you gained to have everything you want in this life and to spend all eternity separated from God in a real, literal, burning hell? That's what the Bible teaches. You say, I don't believe that. Well, argue with Jesus. He's the one that told us more about hell than any other, all the others combined. You know why? Because he's the only one that's ever seen it. He was concerned about it. I think we ought to be. No, if all you want is fire insurance, God's not going to save you. I'm sorry. You only get saved if you'll believe that God is God and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That means. God is God, you must believe that He is, and that God is good. See, that was Jeremiah's message to the children of Israel. There were a lot of bad things happening to them, but until they were willing to believe that God is still good, there were no blessings for them whatsoever. And I want to tell you something, that God is still good today, and that He has not changed, just like the song they sung. And if you're going to start somewhere, you've got to start there. But you know, God's given specific directions. He says once you've been saved, that you ought to publicly identify with Christ in baptism. That means once you've settled the issue of salvation, baptism is very simple at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Number one... You've got to give biblical testimony that you've been saved. Number two, you've got to be willing to get up here and get wet all the way. Uh, we immerse. Why? Because that's how Jesus was baptized. That's why. Because it's a picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And, and by the way, we are kind of particular about who does the baptizing. Because Jesus walked 60 miles to find a Baptist preacher named John to get baptized. Listen, you got to be baptized in a church that believes and teaches the Bible. If it doesn't, then what authority do they have? None. The authority comes from the Word of God through the local church. If both don't match up, then it doesn't work. It's got to be Biblical. You know what you do after you get baptized? You serve God in His church. I've had people leave our church over the years because of this next statement I'm about to make: that you cannot be truly right with God and not be right with His local church. He said, "I don't believe that." Well, I'm not worried about. Well, I am. I'm concerned about what you believe, but we're not going to change what the Bible says because you don't believe it. I'm sorry. We're going to ask you to fix your believer. Amen. We're going to ask you to be willing to understand that this book, somebody said, well, where does it say thou shalt go to church? Uh, How about the epistle of Paul to the Romans? You know what? He wrote that letter to a church at Rome. He wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. He wrote a letter to the churches of Galatia. He wrote a letter to the church of Ephesians. He wrote Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, two letters telling him how to be a pastor of a local church. If you start in Matthew chapter 28 with Jesus' commission to His church and go to Revelation chapter 4... Everything in your Bible is by, through, and for a local church. That's why we believe in church at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And by the way, we believe church ought to be the way that it was for your grandmother. We, we believe that church ought to be the way it was for the Apostle Paul and Timothy and no, we're not going to dress like first century people and we're not going to learn how to speak Latin or any of those things. But what we're going to try to do is have a church for the common people just like they did in the days of the apostles. Why? Because God said so. You see, if I want to seek Him with all my heart, I've got to do the things that He said first. Otherwise, I'm not seeking them with all my heart. You say, but that requires me to change my life. Bingo. That's the only kind of bingo we believe in around here. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, that's exactly what we're talking about. You see, God judges us For the wrong things we do. He is judging our nation right now for the decisions that we have made. As a nation that are against his word. And he is judging us. Because of choices that we make in our worship. If we're not careful. We'll do the same thing the children of Israel did. And we'll lose God's blessing. I don't want to do that. I want to seek Jesus with all my heart. But you know what? The biggest obstacle I have is my heart. Only Jesus can get it out of the way. And that's why August 28, 1977, I surrendered to him. I got saved. But every day since then has been a battle. Either fighting against me, so I can surrender to Him. Or fighting against Jesus, so I can do what I want. When it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that means surrender my authority to His. And His righteousness, allow Him to make life choices. You know, once I'm saved and I'm baptized and I'm serving God through a local church, you know, one of the main priorities that needs to be in my life is what I'm going to do for worldwide missions. It it needs to be. It's what am I going to do for local evangelism? Missions is foreign, uh, outside our local area. Evangelism is what we do locally. That's just our definition and usage of the words. But, Pastor, what about all the rest of it? Well, can I tell you something? God wants to think good thoughts toward you, just like He told Jeremiah to tell the children of Israel. He wants us to have peace in His life. How could you not have peace in your life with the Prince of Peace ruling in your heart? Amen? 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 And when you say amen, you say, I agree with that statement. I hope that was honest. Not purloined. But how could you not have peace with the Prince of Peace ruling in your heart? You have to. Somebody said, well, Pastor, I just... I just can't fight this temptation. Well, join the human race. Neither can any of us. But would you have problems with that temptation if Jesus was sitting there beside you? No. That, that's hard to do. Uh, why would I have a problem? But Jesus isn't sitting. No, he's not sitting beside you. But his spirit lives inside you once you got saved. You know what the problem is? Problems the heart. The problem is we're not seeking Jesus. We're we're seeking ourselves. You see, if I'll seek Jesus and His righteous His kingdom and His righteousness, says, all these things shall. Be added unto you. You know, God is able to take care of things if we'll surrender our heart to Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord.